You're listening to Randall Wallace Presents, formerly Bridging the Political Gap, the number one American history podcast of 2024 by Feedspot.com. In his speech to the Republican convention, Mr. Nixon spoke of Tanya, a Russian child whose family died in the siege of Leningrad. He quoted the final line in her diary, all are dead, only Tanya is left. Let us think of Tanya, said Mr. Nixon, and all the other Tanyas everywhere, as we proudly meet our responsibility for leadership. Since Mr. Nixon became president, 165,000 South Vietnamese civilians, men, women, and children, our allies, people we are fighting to save, have been killed by American bombs. In a recent month, a quarter of the wounded civilians in South Vietnam were children under 12. As we vote... November 7th, let us think of Tanya and all the other defenseless children of this world. He has brought home over 500,000 men from the war, and less than 40,000 remain, none engaged in ground combat. He has overhauled the draft laws and made them fair for everyone, black and white, rich and poor. He certified an amendment giving 18-year-olds the right to vote. He has created an economy that is growing faster than at any time in years the rate of inflation has been cut in half. He has taken a strong stand for equal education, but against massive busing as a means to accomplish it. He has named common sense judges to the Supreme Court. He has gone to China to talk peace with Mao Zedong. He's gone to the Soviet Union to talk peace with Leonid Brezhnev. For four years, President Nixon has responded to the needs of the people. That's why we need President Nixon. Now, more than ever. Without saying that we know that, 
tell Pat Gray. He doesn't know anything about this, but he knows that Pat must not have confidence in Mark Keller anymore. Because I think he's proud of that. He is not to do anything. The danger of telling Gray and telling this guy, Gray will blow his sack and pray out of the office or something like that. And maybe he should be warning. Okay, we are possible to be a problem with the greatest state of government. 
I'm Randall Wallace, and you just listened to a meeting in the in the White House between President Nixon and his Chief of Staff Bob Halderman and John Uckerman, and they're talking about the leaks that keep happening uh, and the investigative reporting done by the Washington Post. As Watergate, at this point, is not as big a scandal going on in the public's mind, but it's percolating under the surface. But these leaks are coming from the man who would eventually be identified as Deep Throat, and that's W. Mark Felt. He was the deputy FBI director. He was mad because Nixon had decided uh, to bring in Pat Gray to take over the uh, FBI rather than as an acting director and then director rather than appointing Mark Felt to the job. And he was the number three guy there and, and now the number two guy there um, after the death of J. Edgar Hoover, and that's why earlier on I said this was a major moment when J. Edgar Hoover died. This is going to play a, a more significant role as Watergate unfolds. That Richard Nixon had to do so many things in-house, bring things in-house, because he couldn't trust the FBI. And uh, they, had, they had been having leaking uh, problems, including the fallback positions uh, from, the, from the dealing with the Soviets and arms control talks. A lot of things that have been going on with water, with uh, Vietnam. Alexander Haig, in one of the documentaries that I have, talks about how you would have things leak, even when you sent it straight to the uh, principal people involved, uh, the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of State. You know, it, it would be leaked, um, even when they were trying to do that to prevent it. And because you're at war and you're in this divisive situation, and you're in sort of this bubble, you have the situation that develops. Uh, that, and, and the fact that you can't entrust uh, your own intelligence operation, or at least President Nixon didn't feel he could, and, um, and he, you know, I think he had some reason for that. Uh, but I do think that this would not have gone there had he lived. Uh, it's one of the many things that happened that made Watergate fall into place. You know, this very divisive time over the war. J. Edgar Hoover dies. He's been at the FBI all these years. President Johnson, who could have tamed some of this, dies. And uh, and so you have Nixon there fighting this alone without what had been the allies of other presidents. So anyway, it's a long story, and we're going to get into Watergate as it unfolds. But right now, we're in the, at the tail end of the '72 election, and what you're going to hear now is one of the one of the few actually uh, on the stump uh, rallies that I could find of George McGovern in Dayton, Ohio. And then we're going to get right in to this final part of the deal to try to get us out of Vietnam. Now, this is going to kind of come together, and then it breaks apart again, and you have a whole nother couple of months in November and December. But uh, here is 1972 as it unfolds, getting closer and closer to the election. Uh, 
thank you very much, uh, Chairman Tibbs, Representative McGee, and my uh, Ohio friends. Uh, first of all, let me say how glad I am to be back in Dayton, Ohio today. And I uh, especially appreciate this marvelous sign behind me that welcomed President McGovern to the city of Dayton. Wherever, uh, wherever we go, we not only see wonderful crowds and wonderful signs, but we see every indication that on November 7th, we're going to retire Mr. Nixon to his palace at San Fernando. Now, uh, I have to admit, once in a while, we do see a Nixon sign that says four more years. But last Saturday, last Saturday, we saw one that said McGovern and Schreiber eight more years. I think the American people are going to be with us on November 7th because we're with the American people. Where, where do we find Mr. Nixon today? We find him hiding in the White House, sitting on top of his gallipole. He doesn't, he has not had the courage at any point in this campaign to appear at a single factory, on a single campus, in a single union hall, and he doesn't have the courage or the confidence to face his opponent in public debate before the people of this country. I think, I think he remembers what John Kennedy did to him in those last debates. If he came out and faced the issues honestly, here are some of the questions that I would like to ask you. Mr. Nixon, did you know about the burglary of our Democratic National Headquarters at the Watergate? Did you know, Mr. Nixon, about the wiretapping of our phones? Did you know about the White House aide that wrote a letter slurring an ethnic group in this country and slandering the reputation of Senator Muskie. And, and if you didn't know about those things, Mr. Nixon, have you lost control of your campaign and your administration? And Mr. Nixon, why did you promote the man who gave ITT a billion-dollar out-of-court settlement? Why did you, re why did you re uh, promote that man to Attorney General of the United States after $400,000 was contributed by ITT to the Republican National Convention? Why have you defended, Mr. Nixon, the Russian grain scandal instead of cleaning up the Department of Agriculture? Why are you against an independent, nonpartisan investigation of all of these scandals 
in your administration. And then another question that I would like to ask Mr. Nixon, why have you kept secret from the American people the names of the people who have now accumulated a secret fund estimated at $20 million for your re-election? 20 years ago, when Mr. Nixon accumulated a secret fund of $18,000, General Eisenhower said to him, come clean with the American people or get off the ticket. Now, unfortunately today, there is no General Eisenhower to make Mr. Nixon come clean or to tell us the truth about this $20 million secret fund. But I say to him, Mr. Nixon, come clean with the American people or get out of the White House. How dare these agents of Mr. Nixon and the president himself put the government on the auction block and the truth into a paper shredder? How dare they ask to lead the people for four more years when they are unwilling to face the people openly in this campaign in face-to-face -face public debates? I know that it's drizzling here today, and we may get a little wet, but I have some important things I want to say, and it's more vital that we be willing to get a little wet today than we'd be burned for the next four years. I, I think it's important to defeat an administration whose top political operator Chuck Colson has said that he would walk over his grandmother in order to win an election. And they've already walked over the Constitution in order to do that. I want you to remember that kind of philosophy when you hear the distortions from Nixon's spokesman about our positions on national defense, their distortions about where we stand on welfare, and their distortions about virtually every position that we've taken in this campaign. I want you to remember how they misled the American people in 1968, four years ago, when they said they had a secret plan to end the war in Southeast Asia. Now, with just two weeks, before the election on November 7th, they're telling us that they're going to end the war again. But why not four years ago? Why, why, Mr. Nixon, was it necessary to kill another 20,000 young Americans in this war before we ended it? What, what did you gain? by killing or wounding or driving out of their homes six million people, most of them in South Vietnam, by this incredible bombing that has gone on for the last four years. What did you get, Mr. Nixon, for the $60 billion you've spent 
in the last four years on the destruction of Southeast Asia that we needed to build up our own cities to combat crime, to combat drugs, to combat pollution, to build up our own country instead of destroying the land and the villages of another country 10,000 miles from our shore. And I, I ask this question, what has changed that makes it any easier for us to get a peace settlement today than the one we could have had four years ago? if we'd had a president committed to peace four years ago. Did you make all these sacrifices, Mr. Nixon, to save your own political face from right-wing criticism? Is, is Pete Hamill of the New York Post right when he asserts in yesterday's issue of his newspaper, and I quote, all those people died for the committee to re-elect the president. Now, I think we need a leadership that recognizes that there are some things in politics that are even more important than saving face or winning a victory, and one of those things is human life, and another thing is a respect for the truth. A leadership in this country today that listens to the people instead of wiretapping their telephones. And what and what are the people saying today? At the Democratic Convention during the California challenge, Willie Brown ended his speech with a stirring cry: Give me back my delegation. This year, in the midst of scandals and the special deals and this endless war that has needlessly gone on for another four more years, the people are saying, give us back our government. This year, the people are saying, give us back the value of our dollar. Today, the dollar you saved four years ago is now worth only 82 cents. And the Nixon wartime inflation is ground into the price of every pound of hamburger you buy. I think there's something fundamentally wrong with a wage and price control policy that suppresses wages but lets prices and interest rates run wild. That's not fair. Inflation is now at a rate of over 6%, which is exactly what it was before Mr. Nixon's new economic controls were applied about a year and a half ago. Why did that happen? It happened because nine-tenths of all the applications for price increases were approved at the same time that the wage price board was holding down the income of people who work for a living. In the next administration, we're going to listen to the people of this country. We will heed their demand for an attack against inflation, and we will operate an even-handed program that protects 
the income of working people and still protects the consumers of this country who have been gouged for the last four years in a needless wartime inflation. Now in 1972, the people are also saying, give us a fair break on taxes. And let me repeat here again this afternoon, there's something fundamentally wrong with a tax system that permits a corporation executive to deduct his $20 martini luncheon and you can't deduct the price of a bologna sandwich. The American people are also saying, give us back our jobs. And let's remember that two million people are out of work today who were working four years ago. We need a president who will do less sermonizing to the workers he has thrown out of work and instead will provide a decent job for every man and woman in this country who is able to work. Now the Nixon administration says that full employment is a myth except in time of war. I don't believe that. I think if we will end this war and cut back on the waste and the fat in our military budget and begin investing that money in building housing, in building decent schools, in building public transit systems, in protecting our environment, in fighting crime and fighting hard drug addictions, building daycare centers, if we'll begin doing the things that we desperately need to build up America, we will not only have more jobs, but we will have the kind of self-fulfilling jobs that can come when you convert the wastes of war into the works of peace. And that's my commitment to the people of this country. Finally, finally this year, the American people are saying, Give us back our sons and our treasure from the jungles of Vietnam. They are saying we should not have waited another four years to end this war. But certainly, they're saying in the closing days of this campaign, it is long overdue to end the cruelest the most wasteful and the most unnecessary war in all American history. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Nixon says there can be no peace without honor. I say there will be no honor and no rehabilitation of America until there is peace in Southeast Asia. Now let's face it, this election is not just a contest between George McGovern and Richard Nixon. Both of us will still be around no matter what happens on November 7th, but it's a fundamental struggle between the decent, ordinary people of this country and the selfish, short-sighted special interests of this country. It's a contest between people who want peace 
and the war makers who will not admit that they've been wrong in this tragic conflict. I think the time has come to recognize that we must answer the question deep in our hearts, deep in our souls about what kind of a country it is we want America to be. I think we want an open government and open politics. I think we want a leadership that builds our trust in them by beginning with a trust in us as the people of this country. I think you want to cherish this country, to take pride in what it does, to honor what it represents. Now it's true that we're behind in the polls. We will win. We will win because we've been out among the people. We've been listening to what they've said. And we've heard that cry, give us back our government. And we will win because it is still true with nations as it is with people that it is the truth that sets us free. Thank God for that. Thank God for each of you.
But then, then if he says, well, no, then what do we do? What do you say? They just cannot but have a, a most serious effect on our ability to support him from this point on. Yeah. That's right. Don't you think he has to say that to him? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. No way you could work out a further delay of a week. Well, I think we can. I mean, if... Uh, but I think we have basically a plan that's firm in doing so. We've, we've, got, we've gone back three times, these people. Yeah, and they've, and they've, they've met each requirement. That's right. So if they go public, we're going to look pretty damn foolish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the point. You've... Um, on the other hand... Oh, wait just a second. On the other hand, on the other hand, if Q doesn't agree, the provisions of the agreement are meaningless because it requires him to cooperate with the DRV in a series of measures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and without that cooperation, you've got no agreement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the only alternative would be if he if he goes refuses to do it, it's then for us to turn around and work out a bilateral arrangement with Hanoi. Which I think he must know we will offer to do. Yeah. If he can give us no hope. Yeah. If we would put it this way, well, if you don't want to go along, then we will have to, we will have to work out a bilateral. We'll, we'll have to go on our own. That's in effect what we say to him, right? That's right. And not only do that, but he's going to be without our, yeah, our support. And that we, uh, well, when you say that, what does he do? I mean, he, I don't think he's, he's got a cave. What the hell can he do? He's got a cave or commit suicide. But that's not something that he might not do. He might, you know, he might decide he can blow. Yeah, I'm here. Hello? He might go public. Uh, yeah. And just say he's not going to be forced into this. And hell or high water, he'll fight it out on his own. And this means well, Henry's got a... Shall we just say this, that, uh, that, uh, that I really... That, that there is a risk in how he's going to handle this. It's a, I'm not being there. I cannot judge from here right. what he should do, but that I think that in, he should make the strongest uh, possible uh, statement indicating that I, had, I now have personally examined it and, uh, and believe that uh, if, if this goes public, which it will if he doesn't take it, that there will be an enormous demand in this country that that we uh, that we go unilaterally and and that we dump him dump you that we just, just i think he should say that we cannot handle it here if this offer gets public right. how, how does that sound to you i think that's fine that there's a grave risk of that that uh, that under the circumstances i feel that we we should uh, uh now the things that he's insisting upon are what what are the things there well, Q wanted some changes, which got the troops out of the South. Yeah, we can't get that. And which deleted some of this tripartite thing. Yeah. And so he really wanted to emasculate the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Well, what are your what are your reactions to what he'll say when that's put to him that way? Of course, it's the it's the it's the total truth. We're simply saying it's my. I don't want to go as one, but I think he should know that uh, the risk that we have here that he's running is that. If this, if this is that they are likely to go public with this. Yeah, we should put it and that it, a threat from you, but yeah, it's a reality. That is a reality, and that when it does, that it will have, there, 
enormous demand for, uh, I mean, to, to, to drop him. I mean, you know, and just and, and just to accept, you know what I mean? Right, exactly. Yeah, I think that's about the way I'd put it. I think that's the best he can do, and then... Yeah, and, but, but that I, but the telling that, that, his, his, that he has the most liberal, uh, you know, ground rules Henry has, right. and uh, play it as best he can, and and uh, that, uh, whatever, whatever, that I'll back him whatever the whatever the judgment is. I mean, if it doesn't turn out, we understand. Right. But uh, the only thing I can think of, of course, is the possibility of delay. Uh, I mean, if we could, <laughs> really, the, the, the best of all worlds, I'll put the damn thing off till the day after the election. And judge, yes. And tell the, and tell the, uh, the uh, but I think they have to be told that now, the North. They do. They must be told. And, yeah, that's and right. The Soviets must be told. And the Soviets must be told, all right, that it's a deal. And then, and uh, but, uh, but they must be told that if it blows, we'll deny it. Right. They have a commitment. I think that's the way I'd do it. But, uh, well, the real problem now is to get him through this next meeting. And I, I, I think this is right. He's got a damn good feel. He's got to know that you're going to back him. Uh, that's right. That he can use as much pressure as possible. Yes. Short of. Yeah, but in view of these latest concessions that we've that just used, use all the pressure he can. Okay, and that that's a personal message from me. I was telling him I studied it all day here, thought about it, examined it from one end to the other, and that uh, no deal is perfect, but what, what that he has our, and also he has our continued assurance that we'll see that the deal is kept. Okay? Fine, sir. All right, thanks. Randall Wallace, uh, your host for Bridging the Political Gap. I want to thank you first for tuning in to our podcast and invite you to come to our website, RandallWallace.com. There you can get a copy of our book, Always Vote Your Conscience, Don't Take It Personally, and Don't Fight the Same Old Battles Over and Over Again, with a lot of policy suggestions and things that I think everyone can embrace, an argument for why we need to be working together instead of fighting with each other. Also, you can take a look at the first 11 episodes of this podcast, which was a podcast documentary that looked at the World War II generation of bipartisan leadership that built the American century and the lessons we can learn from them to apply to today's situations. Again, thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And if you've enjoyed our show, please leave us a review at wherever you get your podcast. And now, let's get back to the show. negotiations going on the other side of the world, trying to get us out of Vietnam. It is a case of trying to force a deal the South Vietnamese uh, don't are not comfortable with, and I can understand why, and, and some of the back and forth leads to the North Vietnamese uh, playing some games, too, that will lead to this getting public, and a very famous line that comes later with Henry Kissinger. But we're going to listen to uh, 
one of the South Vietnamese folks, Henry Kissinger, uh, one of our negotiators, Mr. Negroponte, and uh, and then of course the phone calls between President Nixon and Alexander Haig and President Nixon and Henry Kissinger as this unfolds and an agreement is within reach. Uh, document to start with. Uh, number two, it did not change in any way the communist position. It was just worded differently. And number three, the fact that the Americans, you know, presented to us and told us it was the best they could have obtained is very ominous because uh, it means that the Americans are out to push us to accept that. They raised the issue of uh, uh, North Vietnamese troop withdrawal and asked why that had not been dealt with uh, in our document. The South Vietnamese government never did accept uh, to have the North Vietnamese army stationed in South Vietnam, nor uh, was it resigned to the fact that uh, there's nothing that could be done about it. All of the proposals that we made to the North Vietnamese were seen and approved by two. So that, that was not a new, new proposal by us in October 72. We say, well, yeah, I'm ready for any contingency, but uh, we're not going to decide. So please go back to Mr. Nixon, tell him that we're very sorry, we cannot cooperate on that one. For a moment, put yourself in the North Vietnamese shoes. They had gone through this entire negotiating process. They had reached agreement with us. They had even begun giving instructions to their cadre to prepare for a ceasefire. Some of the North Vietnamese leaders might have begun to think that they had been the victims of the biggest con job in history and that we had simply led them down the garden path and then were going to uh, Welsh on the deal. Good thing. 
the north yeah. and well, until we get Henry's route bunkers. Is, is he going to go from Phnom Penh to Hanoi? No, no, no. He'll come back to Saigon. Oh. And then we have, uh, in effect, uh, mm -hmm. all day tomorrow. Oh, good. He'll be in Saigon. To meeting with you tomorrow. That's right. Oh, good. And then, the, then he would leave Monday our time. Well, when he says he thinks he has breakthrough, then he's still got a day's work. I think so. Yeah. And I, yeah. I wouldn't add this, this burden to him now until he gets this. I get your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. Well, since you've taken that, but you see what our thinking is. That, oh, absolutely. That we can't get sucked into this now, Al, on, uh, on any, and then have it broken off on some. No, if, if this is a locked agreement with two on board, yeah. I don't think the Hanoi thing's bad at all, sir. I think it's no. damn good. It's no. positive. No. It's on a I, high, very high note. Sir, I agree. I agree. Now, I've called uh, uh, Bill Rogers and told him that it looks much better <laughs> just to keep him abreast. Uh, he's running all day, too. But you told him for... But you told, did you tell him we're, we've uh, laced the rain, or you didn't? No, I didn't. No, you didn't need to. Or you just told him it looks better, and that's that. That's right. But told him to keep shut? I mean... Absolutely. That's I think we just simply have to tell him that Ambassador, we've uh, 
think this is permanent. We think we can we can handle it. But the main thing is that two things. One, we will settle on the basis that we have described. Two, we have to have the time to settle, and you must not push us. But that, but uh, and three, you need not be concerned about the election deadline. Remember, because he knows that, uh, and that, and that's a total commitment that you can pass on. Well, I, I'm, no, I'm not sure I would uh, go far in my commitment to, uh, to go along the route outlined because he knows that without you there is no commitment. Well, oh, I see your point. Well, I, I mean, think well, that'd be is. dumping him. Yeah, yeah. Tell him we've got to. We could, we will say basically on all the military sides and so forth and so on. Uh, that's a deal, and uh, we're ready to. Right. Just and and, 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 and yeah, and we'll see. And we're we, we'll work we'll work with you to see what we can work out. Right. We we have to may we may have to go our own. We we understand that we'll have to go our own way, but we haven't given up on you. We're still working on it. That's right. We're still working on it. But we've got to put the lid on this thing and hold it. That's right. And we need and, them. and we need you. And just say that our relations, the two great powers, must not be affected by the fact that these two pipsqueaks are acting the way they are. And that now let's keep our heads. And you keep theirs down, and we'll keep his down. But that's the responsibility. I really feel that I have, that if I told him that, that could have quite an impact on him. Yes, I do too. I do too. So you think about it, and I'll be there at 12:15. Okay. And if we think well of it, we'll call him in. And just lay it out like that, but we'll talk it through first. Fine. Fine. Sure. Uh, but you had no other thoughts uh, and since we've talked. The other thing is that I, I just have I've done a little more thinking about one thing. I am just really adamant on Henry not going to Hanoi with this thing in mind, because basically the way it'll look is a complete surrender. Yep. You know what I mean? It'll be played that way, and also it'll look like Ramsey Clark uh, going to Hanoi, hat in hand, making their deal. Sure, we're going to get the prisoners back, and sure, you know, but they'll say, what the hell have we fought for, the prisoners? I agree. You see the problem? Oh, absolutely. I He's going to Hanoi, I can do it now. I think another, however, a part of the game plan, he can make a commitment to go to Hanoi later. Later. Yeah. You know, say, all right, let's meet in Paris, and then he'll come to Hanoi later. Exactly. And then we can, then there's no problem, but it must not be before the election. It must not be. Third point is this. I strongly feel that if we could make the case that we we really would prefer not to do this before the election, I mean, not just politically, but not to do it, because basically one hell of a lot of people in this country, and frankly, in Vietnam, South particularly, think that we are doing it, doing the wrong thing because of the election. Exactly. And I just think we ought to say, no, we, we're just not going to be a do it, but uh, I, think the, I think that point has just got to be made, that uh, this isn't the right time. That's right. No, this is right, and uh, in, in many respects, this has uh, pulled us back from what could have been a more troublesome wicket. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> right. But we're going to work it out in the end. The main point is we've come a long way on these negotiations. As you well know, the war has got to be ended now. And we're we've now at the point where we're we've got a basis for ending it. We know that the enemy's hurting or they wouldn't be talking. The Soviets right. the Soviets helping. In other words, they haven't got all the cards either. And uh, we're still bombing. And that's the way it's gonna be and uh, so therefore we'll end it. But I think the sad part of it is that I just don't know how South Vietnam I don't see any leadership other than Pew. I don't see any other horse. But looking to the, do you look do you see this the M syndrome starting again? No, no, he's going to come out of this uh, very, very strong. Uh, yeah, he too will. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know, but then what happens? How can he be strong if we uh, cut off a, a assistance to him? 
side and yeah. take the economic in. And, yeah. And in other words, maybe keep we can work another deal with Hanoi. With Hanoi, without the political? Without the political. Uh, they, well, you know, they're hurting so badly. Maybe. They may pay the price. Right. Okay. Right. Sir. We have no complaint with the general description of events as it was given by Radio Hanoi. <clears throat> However, there existed, there grew up the seeds of one particular misunderstanding. The North Vietnamese negotiators made their proposal conditional on the solution of the problem by October 31st. We did agree that we would make a major effort to conclude negotiations by October 31st. As far as Saigon is concerned, it is of course entitled to participate in the settlement of a war fought on its territory. Its people have suffered much and they will remain there after we leave. We believe that peace is at hand. Hello? Hello, Mr. President? Well, Henry, I understand that the uh, that all the three news shows are about Vietnam, and I wonder why. Colson <laughs> uh, called me, and he thinks that we've wiped McGovern out now. Did he really? Yeah. Yeah. I thought you'd be interested. I was in West Virginia and uh, uh, Kentucky, and I played it even a little more low-key than we talked. You know, I just mentioned, I just said that, I said that uh, based on the progress that has been made to date, I can say with confidence tonight that uh, I believe we will achieve our goals, you know, yeah. just like that. Uh, what was the response? The cut, they practically take the roof off. Uh, a peace with honor and not a, not, not a surrender. That's all, I, that's all I said. Not another day. And then I lay out the three things. Yeah. That is that, uh, that we, I said. I said we have we have laid down only three things. One that all of our prisoners of war. Two a ceasefire. I don't even say what kind. And three that uh, the people of South Vietnam will determine their future without having it opposed. But these North Vietnamese completely now because we are getting the credit or you are getting the credit at home for settling it, while they don't get the benefit of an agreement. <laughs> and they, uh, and you don't think? Uh, I suppose. The problem we've got, uh, which we have to bear in mind, is that it's just a week early. But uh, on the other hand, on the other hand, I don't see, in view of the message you got while you were, we were in the yellow over room, I, they've got to come to Paris, don't they? Well, they may not come next week. Well, that's all right. They may say depend. But what do we care? You see, the longer they wait, the more of their infrastructure they're going to lose because. Well, but the only thing that they might do, you remember in '68. After Johnson announced a bombing halt, Pew blew it yeah. through the whistle, and that hurt. You know, hurt him. Yeah, but, it, but, uh, but now it's so, blown the whistle this time. Well, with the North Vietnamese, I don't think so. I mean, the North Vietnamese, I suppose, could blow it on us, couldn't they? But how? 
they just put out the agreement and said it's there. They want it. They're asking us to sign it. I get. I see your point. In other words, we have confirmed it, so now they can't say you are a. Basically, liar. all you were doing was confirming their agreement. That's right. I began by saying their statement is essentially correct. Now let me just explain it in our language. And uh, and oh, the way I said it, I said, well, there are some uh, differences that have to be resolved. That's the way I put it. That's and right. and that's all there is to it. There are they are very small. Yeah. So we kept right on. Uh, but, uh, what I, I wouldn't say they're very small interviews. I didn't say I didn't I didn't say small. Okay. You and I you and I know they're small because you use the term ninety percent. But I said, well, there are some differences that have to be resolved. One hundred percent, right? Yeah. So I said, you got a good reaction. Right? Oh, they think. Of course, the point is they think you got peace. Yeah. That's what they think. But that's all right. Let them think. It's it. Essentially true, Mr. President. You'll have it by November twenty. Yeah. But. Uh, but uh, what have you heard during the evening? Uh, have you uh, well, talked to any other people? Well, it's dominating all the news shows. And yeah. They're playing it on specials. They're playing big uh -huh. chunks of the news thing. Right, right. And uh, Colson called me. I didn't Your, my wife said you came through very well. She saw you at noon. Oh, really? And, yeah, she said it was that you were power, strong. And, and, you know, and we were, t I mean, we were talking to Ziegler about it. And I just raised the question about what they were using. And she said, well, it, I don't know, some part where you knocked on the, poli the political things, that's what she heard. Oh, yeah, I said that's an unworthy question. I said, can you really believe that a president who has gone through this anguish would, and through this four years, would, they said they suggested it was a hoax, yeah. would engage in a hoax? I said, they said, how do we know this isn't a hoax? I said, our record speaks for that. Oh, God, that's great. And I, uh, mm -hmm. Well, but. And as far as Q is concerned, if he blows the whistle on us, then we're in a perfect shape to twist his arm. But he won't blow the whistle because he might, he's wily enough to see that we are protecting him because at no point did I say we, uh, that, did I say that it was final. Well, either that it was final or that we didn't take his view seriously. I kept saying they have a country that's been devastated, has a right to participate in right. its own peace right. treaty. Right. Right. Uh, you really covered that. Yes. But you were, uh, go ahead, want to pick up the other phone? Right. Hello? Yeah. Hello. Yes. And, uh, but you said that, uh, earlier you were telling me that Nelson was really pleased. And, oh, Nelson called. And him. you heard from, you heard from, uh, Bundy, oh, Reston? Bundy, I, from, I hear from all people, of all sorts of people, as a Reston called, uh, Carl Moore, uh, he's a lawyer, he's a partner of... Uh, Carl who? Uh, a fellow, a senior partner of Cravath, Wayne, and Moore called... Oh, yeah, he all go. I know the, I know the Moore. He's, a, he's married into the, uh, uh, the the Luce family. I know him, yeah. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I, I must have had 150 to 100 phone calls from people all over. Taft Schreiber called, and he said he watched it with... Ten other people. What they say? They were applauding and they were saying it was too marvelous. And he just called me about it. Great. And congratulations right. to the president. All right. So I think we. You know, one thing that is very good about it, Henry, is that you did it rather than me. Well, you see, it leaves it. It leaves it in a position 
where you see, if I had done it, then they would have thought it was political, that I was using it politically. You see, there's a beautiful, that's the thing that I liked about this. You're going out announcing this is really better than if we'd had the piece made and I'd gone out in a dramatic program. You know what I mean? Yes, right. And the fact that, that you are holding out for the final term. That's right. And, of course, when it's finally done, you can still make the announcement, of course. And All right. Well, we don't care about that. It'll be too late. We don't give a damn about the announcement then. Yeah. Well, I think, though, it will establish your authority in the new administration. Right. I mean, because you'll have yeah. seen the statesman who went through. Yeah. The only thing that, uh, that uh, I see, Teddy Kennedy was saying that we were propping up a corrupt, Popping up Q or something like that. That's a lame goddamn well, thing. But what do they want us to do? Undermine our ally, overthrow yeah. him? And right, everything. right. And well, also, they're going to be hacking around for excuses. Sure. And, uh, but we've got them right where the hair is short. And I haven't seen the whole flow, but Colson called me and he said it was overwhelmingly good. Tim Buckley called up. Congratulations. Oh, oh did he? Good. Congratulations. He said these are the terms that he had been hoping for. Thank you for listening to Bridging the Political Gap. 
If you've liked what you've heard, please share it. And we would love to hear from you and your thoughts on, on our show. So if you'd like to, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, thanks again and so long for now.